Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Electric vehicles, or EVs as they're commonly referred to, promise to change the world. The likes of GM and Ford are also promising a predominantly EV lineup in the next few years, joining Tesla in its latest competition, Rivian, in the race to electrify transportation in America. I'm Jason Cipriani with co-host Jason Perlow, and on this episode of Jason Squared, we're going to discuss our personal experiences with EVs, obstacles that they need to overcome, and what they'll eventually mean for all of us. All right, Perlo, I know that you recently spent, I think it was the weekend, driving a Polestar 2, right? That's right. Was that your first EV experience? It is not. Uh, you know, I, I don't have as much EV experience as you do, but um, you know, I started looking at EVs about 10 years ago. So the I had an opportunity, I, I pretty much almost exactly 10 years ago, with the Chevy Volt, which was a plug-in uh, hybrid. And that was like one of the first ones that actually hit the market. And I had a similar experience. They let me drive one for three days. And, you know, I got to play with it. And I, and I wrote my impressions of it on Zenet at the time. Um, and I've already, you know, I guess the last 10 years ago, I've had friends with different model Teslas, you know, with mo different versions of the Model S, uh, the Model X, um, so I, and the Model 3. And I've had occasional opportunities to drive them. I had, I had, I was able to take a 2019 uh, Model Three Sport out for like a one day test drive. I had the ability to play with one um, re fairly recently. Uh, so that's fairly, fairly new model year. And I mean, I know there is some difference between the 2019 and the 2021, but um, I did have, I did have a fun opportunity uh, with that car. So yeah, I mean, I've had some, but the Polestar gotcha. was like the first brand new, like. Third party car I've had an opportunity to drive recently. Other yeah, I haven't Tesla. even seen one in person. What is, what was the experience like? Did you like it? Oh, very much so. Um, you know, uh, so Polestar is a company that was purchased by Volvo in 2010, and um, subsequently, when Volvo was purchased by Geely, which is a big Chinese automobile manufacturer, uh, obviously, you know, Geely inherited the Volvo and Polestar brands. Um, originally, Polestar was like a, a modifier type company, like just like AMG was for Mercedes. And they decided to use that brand for their electric vehicle. They started um, in earnest producing cars in 2017. Um, doing deliveries with in 2018, 2019 for the European market. Um, the first U.S. deliveries occurred in December of 2020 and really was only in the New York area. Um, they've expanded their showrooms to about 25, what they call them, spaces um, in, the, uh, in the continental U.S. And they recently started rolling out a couple of spaces in Florida. There's one in Tampa, and they just opened ones in Palm Beach and also in Miami or in the process of, of opening. So I had a chance locally to drive a Polestar 2 uh, after waiting about a year to take a look at one. That's a long time. Are they pretty expensive? I, I honestly uh, don't know a whole lot about them. 
They are not that expensive, actually. They're um, they're about the size. So the Pulsar Two is a like a crossover hatchback size vehicle, mid sized, approximately the same weight class as a Tesla Model Y. Um, gotcha. The the two engine motor version goes for about fifty two thousand uh, dollars. Now they they can get up there because if you want the full pilot pack, that's another three thousand dollars of of upgrades. If you want the leather, that's another five thousand dollars of upgrades. So yeah, I mean you could probably get the thing up to about sixty one, sixty two uh, if you put everything in it. You know, uh, which is which is actually quite um, I I think is quite competitive with Tesla in terms of price point. Um, you know, range, I don't think they quite have the range of, of Tesla yet. Their, um, their dual motor version, which is 408 horsepower, um, is 78 kilowatts, which they estimated about a 250 mile range at a full 100% charge. Wow. So, um, yeah, let's, let's, let's dive into charging networks, but that's interesting. So the listeners know I have a Tesla model three. I've had it since June of 2019. It has a 75 kilowatt hour battery in it. Uh, estimated range is about 330 miles. So that is rear wheel drive only is the model I have a long range rear wheel drive. I always struggle saying that because it's a tongue twister for me for whatever reason. Uh, and, you know, they've increased the range over the years through software updates. I think unofficially it's somewhere around 350 miles of range. So the efficiency there between the Tesla and the Polestar is a lot different. If, you, if the battery packs are roughly the same, getting anywhere from 75 to 100 extra miles off that same type of charge, that's quite a big difference. And when it comes to electric vehicles, there is a lot of... Um, Range anxiety, I guess you could say, and range is king. You know, that's what I always tell people when they ask me about electric cars. Should they get, you know, a, yeah. a standard range or long range? And I tell them you'll you'll always want as much range as possible. For yeah. some reason, we worry a lot more about charging or the range of a vehicle because we have to charge than we do in a gas vehicle, and that is because of the charging networks that are laid throughout the U.S. and and the t- amount of time it takes to charge a car. Uh, and depending on the car, it could be really quick or it can take a while. So with the Polestar, what did you find as far as charging infrastructure? Um, you know, were you able to charge at home? Tell me about the charging experience. Well, so let me just get back to battery for a second. The, so far, obviously, we are, you know, a tropical hot environment. Right. So we have to use our ACs like all the time. I kept the thing on full on AC, you know, around 70, 68, 69 degrees in the car, 72, depending on what my wife wanted it colder or, or warmer, more, more warmer in, the, in my wife's case. Um, we didn't see a ton of battery, extra battery drain. So we were still getting about 240, uh, you know, at 92 percent charge, which is where they, they tell us not to fully charge the car for, right. for battery life. Um, we were getting about 230 or so. Uh, through done 30 and change, you know, depending on how hard we drove the car um, and and how much AC. When we used the AC full time, we didn't see tremendous degradation. Well, that was good. I mean, I thought that the AC was really going to draw on the car. It did not. Um, yeah, I think that, and the same thing goes with in Colorado. Obviously, the cold impacts the battery, but there's always this, in there is some impact in running extra stuff like ac or heater but the impact it has overall on battery life and range more specifically i think is 
it's something that people who don't know a lot about EVs or who who haven't drove EVs for very long, um, I think it's kind of a myth that that you know rolls on by at, through new users and, and new owners because maybe maybe four or five miles of range is the impact on a long drive for me. That's it. You know, it's, it's not much. It, 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 it's not a lot. Um, and obviously, you know, there's the there's the uh, there's the regenerator braking also, you know, tends to help on these cars a lot with with, with sort of like canceling some of that out. But talking about you know the the charging infrastructure, so you have a Tesla, and I, I think yes, you know the the big the big eight hundred pound grill in the room in terms of charging infrastructure is Tesla. They have their own dedicated charging network, um, yep. which really helps out. A lot. And, and and the logistics of having Tesla's navigation computer understand when the charges are in use, how often, how spaced apart they are, how you route plan, that is very well implemented in a Tesla vehicle. You know, sure. um, I, look, I, I got my issues with Elon Musk. I have some other issues with Tesla as a company, but that is not the issue that I have. They, they, their logistics and compute, their, their, their IVI stack computer for helping you find charging stations within their network and and to some extent out of network is is actually is pretty good so the issue with you know third-party vehicles are, are two things first in the united states there are two charger connector standards in place for both ac and dc charging uh, the Asian manufactured vehicles or asian brands i would say use something called chatamo uh, and the U.S. Vert cars use something called CCS or CCSI. Now, both of these standards can charge AC and also DC. So if you have, you know, just your your the plug uh, adapter that comes with the car, which you can plug into any, you know, AC in your garage that you can charge your car with, but you're not going to get a very fast charge out of it. So the, the one that comes with the Polestar 2, um, which also has a Tesla adapter in the event that I have to, you know, use it at a Tesla cord at a third party station. I can't use one of Tesla stations for this yet yeah. um, is a seven kilowatt um, charging cord now just so that you that our our viewers understand chargers at stations can go as far as much as 150 kilowatts and and For 50 kilowatts yeah. Tesla has faster yeah Tesla has faster and and but 50 kilowatt is pretty common for what they call DC fast charge stations um, the two DC fast charge stations I were able to use the networks at least here in Florida were electrify America Yep. is a big one and evgo evgo now what you need to kind of understand about third-party charging is it's not like gas stations where you go to a you know in a vehicle you go to a gas station you pay with a, you, you pop your credit card in the in the in the machine and you start fueling that's not how it works with electricals um electricals currently with the third parties have their own dedicated apps for these charging networks so electrify america has an app and um, Evgo has an app, and there's another one that has an app that I didn't have a, a chance really to charge point. Charge point. I didn't really have a chance to to take advantage of that one locally. Um, and you know, and there are other also you know third party stations where at like you know Whole Foods and whatnot where they'll give you free seven you know kilowatt you know if you just park in your car there you can just keep yeah. it there. 
Um, but basically, you have to sign up with each of, with Electrify America's app and EV and Evgo's app. You got to give them your credit card information. They each have their own user interface, and they'll tell you what the status of those charging stations are. They'll charge. They'll tell you 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 know um, you know they have things like refills. So like for example, Electrify America, I got to give them the, a ten dollar refill or a twenty dollar refill once you go over you know a certain amount of charge, right? Like you know for example, I did eighteen dollars at one of their stations. I hit the ten dollar limit and then it did a then it read a recharge on the on the next ten dollars. So it's kind of like a pay as you go cell phone kind of plan, which was cool. Um, but the interfaces and all these charging stations are different. Um. I think they're they're all kind of lousy to be perfectly honest they're not great you know these third party state and half the time you know you have pylons there that are not that are broken that are not working you know that, that, that you know they're out of service which i see um so that that is a frustration right now um ideally i would like to see this handled by the car itself right i mean you pull up in the car the car navigates to you to the charging station it tells you logistically where, where which one is the best one for you to use how long you're going to have to wait to go to one um you know and it route plans you to through through charging lets you know when you ideally you should be charging you know um that kind of stuff right now that's not the case right so the polestar uses um, their IVI system is Android Auto. Motive, which is different than Android Auto, which we, I guess we can get into that whole thing. And it uses Google Maps, but it's a stripped down version of Google Maps. It'll show me both Evgo and at Electrify America stations and third party ones, but it will not tell me the status at those stations, whether they're in use or, or any of that kind of stuff, or like, you know, what, what the charging costs and all that. So all that from a third party infrastructure perspective is, if we're not talking about Tesla's network, is in its infancy, right. pretty much. And I think, so there's two main factors here that I want to point out. Um, Actually, more than that, but I'll stick to the two. Tesla obviously has a multi-year head start on all of these companies, whether yeah. it's Rivian, GM, Ford. They could all announce today that they have this multi-year plan. Rivian has has a multi-year plan to roll to uh, roll out the Rivian Adventure network, which has fast charging up to 350 kilowatt hours um, to charge their truck and their SUV, which is a huge boost. But it's going to take them years to get to that point. Uh, so the supercharger network basically is designed to take you from coast to coast, LA to New York, uh, or, you know, North to South, South to North along major, uh, inter interstates. Uh, so I live in central Southern Colorado and in the car or on Tesla's website, I'm able to type in an address and it routes me, um, based on my car model with the number of charges I'll have, or number of stops I'll have to make for charging and the amount of time it's going to take based on estimated, you know, range when I get there. And so over the summer, my family and I took a trip to Mount Rushmore, not, not too bad of a drive, mm. go up through Wyoming into South Dakota um, and back. And it was a total of three charging stops uh, wow. routed by the car itself uh, for a total of 45 minutes worth of charging uh, on the way back. It was the same thing. You know, when you get in the car, you pull up to this, you pull up to the supercharger, which by the way, the superchargers, um, there's three different models. The current V3 supercharger charges at 250 kilowatt hours, uh, which is incredibly fast. Uh, and on the way back, 
we actually stopped and charged in Broomfield, Colorado at a V3 charger. And the lower your battery is, the faster it charges, just the way um, batteries work. And so we, it was at a gas station, uh, which is ironic, right? And so we, we go inside, kids have to use the restroom. We get a cup of coffee and some donuts to make the rest of the drive home. And we were there 15 minutes and my car charged 80% in 15 minutes. It's impressive. We was a normal stop, a normal gas station stop to go to the restroom and get food and drinks. Like we got an alert while we were in there that, hey, because if you hit 100 percent on your car or you hit your charge limit that you set in the app, you're charged an idle fee, one dollar a minute while you wait. And I we had to rush out of there to get back to the car so we could leave because it had charged so fast. Um, But so the car tells you when you pull up into a station, hey, since your next stop is here and there's a charger there, you only need to charge for 17 minutes in order to make it to the next supercharger. So it routes you automatically. And I won't go too far into my history of, of EVs, but I did drive a Nissan Leaf that gave me completely, totally inaccurate uh, range <laughs> estimates that had me panic charging in a city that's only 30 miles away. When wow. I left home, I had 200 miles of range. By the time I got there, I had 20 miles of range. And it's because the computer didn't take into account the fact that I was climbing up 3,000 feet. Yeah, 2,000 feet that'll do it. To get there. And, and all this other stuff where Tesla's computer takes into account the elevation gains and losses and what that does to the impact of the battery. And if you're going to, you know, when I drive home from Denver on the way to Colorado Springs, I'm using a lot of battery. But as soon as I hit Colorado Springs to Pueblo, it's mostly downhill and there's a lot of regenerative braking going on, even if it's just passive. And I don't use as much range as I do heading to Colorado Springs, for example. But I think the biggest challenge, Tesla, as well as any EV maker, it doesn't matter who, is filling in the dead spots in routing through the country. There is a spot that goes through Texas and Oklahoma and Kansas. There are no fast chargers there. Yikes. There's chargers. There's the chargers like you were talking about, the EVgo, ChargePoint, Electrified America. But those are slow. When you're talking about level two chargers, which is what you were talking about, seven kilowatt, 11 yeah. kilowatt hour chargers, you're talking maybe 10% of a charge per hour, depending yeah. on how big of a battery is in your car. Well, if I'm driving across the country, I don't want to have to stop and wait eight hours for my car to charge. No. Every couple, every couple hundred miles, right? That's it's not feasible. It's not an acceptable way to make a road trip. So over the summer, we went to Missouri and taking Highway 50 through Colorado, Kansas, and into Missouri. Impossible to take my Tesla. Impossible to take any electric car. In fact, it wasn't until we got to our, our destination city in Missouri, which happened to have a supercharger, that we saw our first electric vehicle of the entire road trip. If I would have gone up to I-70 and taken I-70 across and over, which is a major interstate, uh, it would have been fine. There were plenty of superchargers along the way, but it would have added several hours to the trip that I didn't need to do. Rivian, yeah. by the way, they have a map of what their their charging network is going to look like, it has the same exact hole in it that Tesla's does. And so there's there's still gaps, and I'm sure there's areas uh, you know throughout the rest of the country where that is an issue as well. But you know, firsthand experience, I I know that there's a huge gap there. Now, one thing I think that is going to be a boost to Polestar 
The last thing about charging, then we can move on. One thing that's going to be a boost to Polestar, uh, for GM, all these others that are getting into EVs now, even Rivian, uh, getting into or you know releasing their EVs finally, is that Tesla is working on opening up its supercharging network to yep. non-Tesla cars. They've already started a pilot program of this over in Europe in one select country, which is um, the name is escaping me now. Uh, but you're able through the Tesla app to use the supercharging network and pay them an extra fee, you know, for using their network. So I think that's going to be a huge boost uh, as far as being able to get around more easily. Yeah, I'll leave it there. I could keep going on. So, 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 so let me give you my sort of like, you know, business analysis sort of view on this. I think it's great that the Tesla's doing this, but they cannot be the only extra provider to, to boost up these systems. No, um, no. Look, we have a, a retail crisis going on right now with COVID. COVID is going to be here forever. It's not going away. We're always going to have some kind of impl- imp- incarnation of this in existence, you know, whether we get our booster shots going into the end of our lives or, or whatnot, right? This thing is endemic. It's there. I think it has caused a um, a ripple, a massive sea change kind of philosophy about how people shop now, right? I do a lot of my shopping and entertainment remotely, right? I, I'm using I'm using Amazon. I'm doing all my Christmas shopping, holiday shopping on Amazon. I do all my movie watching on streaming and all this stuff. So my so my desire to leave the house is limited by certain things that I absolutely must shop for, um, you know, when I have to go in person. So I go to Costco. And even when I think Costco at some point will probably figure out a way to do better logistics deliveries. But you have these large retail centers with 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 parking space. OK, um, movie theaters, for example, which I think they're going to have to justify a reason to exist. Now, just so happens an hour and a half, two hour movie is a good uh, time window for charging a car at 50 kilowatts, not at the most super expensive chargers that you could possibly have. So I think there's a business opportunity there for the retail spaces that have been suffering to bring in new um, business. Right. Uh, I, I absolutely would go watch a Marvel movie or something um, or a Warner Brothers movie. Uh, if, uh, you know, I could get my pulse star or charged, uh, you know, for two hours and, and, and juice up while I'm, you know, uh, eating my popcorn and, 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 you know, and my, uh, watching my superhero flick, um, McDonald's massive, re- massive retailer, massive food company, um, c- could easily give you a McDonald's, uh, app that includes charging and maybe give you, you know, points on, you know, if you, uh, you know, if you buy X number of burgers or, or McMuffins, you get a certain number of charge use or, or vice versa. <laughs> you know, Starbucks could do this. Dunkin' Donuts could yeah. do this. Yeah. Um, there's lots of retail shop. Look, in Florida, we have lots of open retail shopping plazas, strip malls with restaurants and things. There are huge opportunities for this. You don't need. All right. Look, I would love to be able to have the 120, you know, uh, uh, what do you call it? Kilowatt plus 115, 200 kilowatt, whatever, whatever the maxi super speed chargers you can possibly do in D.C. Great. Let's put those everywhere. But in the meantime, I understand that there's a cost factor involved. Right. But if, you, if I'm going to go out to a restaurant, I'm going to spend 45 minutes to an hour, an hour and a half, uh, you know, eating. That's plenty of time for my my car to charge up. We're also going to have to figure out, you know, attendants, right, that are going to want to need. We're going to need them to swap uh, cables 
from a logistics perspective, like if there's only so many spaces, we're going to need to have things like, um, you know, uh, what you call them, um, like parking attendants, like like you know, uh, concierge service, where you know, you give me your keys, charge my car. Uh, and then when my char charges up, okay, you know, he's going to move it to an idle parking space and move the next car into place. So that um, time management and understanding, you know, uh, the population of vehicles in a particular area is something we're going to need to look at. Companies like Disney should be doing this for people that pull it. Look, Disney's got these giant solar panel arrays in, uh, in Orlando. They got a mouse shaped you know, with mousier solar panel that's the size of multiple football fields, they can charge. They can set up charging stations for their giant parking lots. You just would have to hand your keys to somebody and say, "Hey, charge my car." And while I'm here for six hours, you know, it'll be ready to go when I come back. You know, that's I, uh, these are things they need to think of. You know, I'd be doing. surprised if Disney doesn't already have those. I mean, IKEA has them, Walmart's have them, Target have. You know, a lot of these places already have them uh, in the parking lot. But one thing I think we need to address though is most EV charging is done at home. Yeah, I think industry wide, ninety percent of charging your own car is done at home for most EV owners. So you charge it at home, and most of that is done either through a hundred and ten volt, which is a standard wall adapter. Yep. Uh, which is a level one charging, which is about three miles an hour. It adds to your car, which is, yeah, 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 yeah. I have a level two charger installed in my house. Uh, you know, so I get about 11 kilowatt hours of charge, uh, off of that. So it's around six hours to charge my car from empty to full if I need it, which overnight charging, you know, it's the cheapest way to go about doing it. Yes, we need more chargers throughout the country, but I think road trips are where the biggest hurdles are and the biggest area is for EV makers or companies as a whole to build out those those networks. What was uh, your overall investment in terms of electrical system and equipment to, to, to put the high-level charger for your Tesla in your house? I already had the wiring ran into my garage for a hot tub that is no longer um, on the outside of the garage. So all I had to do, the you know, the breaker was there, all of that. Um, I am okay with wiring stuff myself so i bought tesla's 500 wall charger which is their level two wall charger um and connected it myself and so 500 if you want to count the cost for the charger uh but again i didn't have to run any wiring outside of you know a small little jump from a junction box but there was no you know going can you go can you go can you go to a higher level charger from that or just the 500 uh, not at home that's that's as high as it gets yeah Okay. Yeah, I saw that Electrify America had uh, home-based units. Um, yeah. You know, that, and, and, I basically bought Tesla's equivalent of that. Okay. And uh, yeah, so I would probably have a little bit higher investment than you because my electrical box is from the from the early 1990s, the original one that came to the house. I would have to re I'm going to have to redo it anyway for for solar power. You know, I'm going to have to do a completely change out all my all my boxes and everything because I'm like maxed out on my circuits. But that's a but that may be that that can be up to you know two thousand dollars worth of electrical work on a house depending on how old you have you know and what, oh, and what yeah. and how it many circuits be, you got. It could be a big investment, but um, you know you don't have to run the sixty amp circuit in order to okay. do it. You can charge off of the 30 amp circuit. You're going to get around seven kilowatt hour charging rate, which still is more than enough to charge your car overnight, which again is where most people do their charging at home or when most people do their charging at home. So uh, you don't need to go all out. A 30 amp dryer circuit really is all you need uh, in order to make it happen. But it depends on how far of a run it is for the electrician and what your breaker box looks like at home. 
So another topic I think we should touch on uh, before closing out here is the software and quote unquote full self driving. Yeah, you know the uh, you know that sort of stuff that comes with these cars. It, it is a big part of electric cars as a whole. Partly because Tesla's made that part of the conversation, but also other companies have come on board with it too. Companies have their lane assist and lane keep and driver assist and all these other things. Um, I don't know. What did the Polestar have? Did it have any of these smart features, these safety features? So the, the, the vehicle that I was loaned did not have the quote unquote pilot pack, which is, you know, the, the full lane assist, um, you know, uh, collision of the full collision avoidance, the full 60 degree, you know, uh, camera view. All that. Uh, my, my infinity, interestingly enough, uh, you know, from 2016 has that system. Uh, so where it has, uh, you know, uh, the automatic uh, cruise control where it does, you know, it keeps a distance between you and the other cars. So my wife uses it like all the time. She loves it. Um, you know, it pract- and it basically keeps you also in your lane with force feedback also. So the car almost basically if you're on the highway and you need to stay in a lane on cruise control, uh, it basically drives itself for the most part. You know, I mean, not like I mean, it'll it'll keep you in your lane. It'll keep your distance between you and other cars. It'll proactively brake and all that kind of stuff, which is neat. Um, so it had that. It didn't have that system um, in the Polestar, but you can get that for like an extra three thousand um, dollars. I they don't have any full any automation stuff, at least um, in that car, as far as automatic driving or anything like that uh, yet. Sure. Um, so that's something I think they're probably looking into. Um, it's interesting. I mean, I think that's going to be a question of what Google does, right? Because that car uses Android Automotive. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit. So there are a couple of cars in the market besides the Polestar that will be getting Android Automotive. Oh, Polestar was the first vehicle. The, the Polestar 2 was the first to get it. Android Automotive is the IDI, in-vehicle infotainment system um, for the Polestar 2. Also for the Hummer and a few other cars coming out. Um, it is Android. It literally is your car runs on Android. The non-essential systems run on Android. So your climate control system, your navigation system, entertainment system, all that is an Android tablet in the middle of the car. It looks like a giant, you know, uh, Galaxy tab, basically. It probably is. It's 11.15 inch uh, tablet that's running in portrait mode. Um, and it's got, you know, a specialized home screen. It has a special Google uh, Play Store with specialized applications, not every application that you can possibly run on the Google App Store. Right. So it's got things for like, you know, Android music, uh, Apple, uh, excuse me, has Amazon music. It's got like Spotify. It's got like um, Tidal, uh, Google Music, a few other things. Um, and it. It, but they will not allow third-party navigation. They will not allow third-party charging apps, uh, you know, a bunch of things. So they have a lot of rules about what they'll have. You can't get, obviously, you can't use Chrome, can't use Gmail, can't use, you know, if, if it's messaging, it has to be very specialized messaging apps. So they do that for the sake of not having driver distraction. So even yeah. if you, if currently there's no Android Auto capability in the, in the Polestar, you cannot attach a, Android phone and use your regular Android apps as you would in, in, in a car that has Android Auto, like my 2016 Camaro, I can just plug in any Android phone and use Android Auto and, and use Google Maps and any, and, any game, and any app I want that is supported by that system. Um, there's also no CarPlay currently in the Polestar 2. That's coming in the spring. 
So that's that's problematic. If you want to do any Apple stuff, you're you're SOL basically right now until they update the software. Interesting. Yeah. So one major complaint of Tesla and by extension Rivian, even though Rivian's not shipping to average consumers yet, is that neither of them support Android Auto or CarPlay. They're own going. Mm. They're, they're each going with their own software stack. So Tesla's, you know, been around for a while. Rivian has Alexa integration, which Amazon is a huge investor um, in Rivian. So it makes sense that they are. I think it's 20% of the company, 20% of the stock is owned by Amazon. Um, and they have a huge order for their electric delivery vans as well, 100,000 vans. I think they're supposed to start delivering a lot of those by the end of this year. But yeah. as far as automation goes, obviously Tesla is known for its autopilot and full self-driving, which is not truly full self-driving because that would be level five autonomy, which means you don't even need a steering wheel or you know an accelerator no. brake pedal, which is not the case at all. You still need to be fully aware of what's going on in the car. Uh, full self-driving is currently in beta. I happen to have access to it. I've had access for the last month. And it is fun, but it also is scary at times because the car imagine. does make some mistakes. You know, it's vision only. It's relying only on cameras, no radar, no other sensors. Um, and there's, you know, that's a whole nother episode, a whole nother debate whether or not it could be done with cameras only. But when it gets it right, and uh, it has quite a few times, it is some of the most impressive tech I've ever experienced. Getting in a car, telling it where to go, and the car just going, um, stopping at stoplights, you know, easing out so it could look and see if the pathway is clear for it to make a turn, uh, changing lanes, doing all the stuff that we do every day mindlessly as we drive, and the car is doing it on its own is so impressive. Is it We're worth uh, the $10,000? $10, I don't know. Maybe not now, but I can tell you this. There are logistics that are going to need to be needed for these cars, whether we own one or not, right? So so from a rideshare perspective, right, these cars yeah. are going to need to be able to go to depots and charge themselves. In other words, robotics, I'm sure, or attendants are going to be probably human attendants initially until they get the robotic arms and all that kind of stuff, that whole thing perfected. But even still, you know, you may, it may come to a point where we own timeshares in cars, right? Where, you know, we buy, where we buy, you know, something, let's say Apple or, or, you know, decides they don't want to sell the cars, but they want to sell shares in, in, in a car system where, you know, these cars will maybe just appear when we want them, or we can just let them go, uh, you know, go work for us when we're singing at our, 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 our desks for a day, you know, and, and there will need to be, you know, spaces allocated where in shop, let's say I want to, let's say I want to go to a shopping mall. Let's say I still want to be around human beings. Well, ideally the car should drop me off in front of the, the, the drop-off point and the, the mall entrance. My wife would actually be able to go shopping. And then when we're waiting for the car, we need our car. They think should come and pick us up, right? Nobody should be yeah. fighting for parking spaces in these parking malls. These things should be dynamically parking themselves and coming to get us. Things like that right. is where, you know, you can optimize, you can improve logistics and, and, and you can get rid of these traffic issues that are all related to putting cars places that, 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 that we really, you know, shouldn't have to worry about. You know, and it could change the way retail works. It could change the way shopping malls work. It could change the way a lot of things work if there was some more intelligence as to where these cars need to be and when, right? 
Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Elon Musk has talked a lot about Tesla's being worth much more than they're worth now when they're part of what he has called, quote unquote, a robo taxi service, which means, like you said, you get out of your car, it takes off, gives people some rides like an Uber, on demand Uber, or whatever the case may be. And then when you're ready for your car, it comes back and uh, you're able to go away. There, (laughs) in fact, there's some evidence in the last iPhone version of the Tesla app. It's not active yet, but people have been disassembling the app recently. Right. The code's there for RoboTaxi service. So they're getting close to launching some resemblance of it. Obviously, these aren't autonomous cars. The cars can't just drive away and pick you up. But I think it's going to be blending of keys like time limit. Here's a key to my car through the mobile app for the next 24 hours, that type of stuff. So people can start making money uh, off of lending out their car, which I will not be doing. I I don't trust people enough to do that uh, with my car. That's just not something I'm interested in. But uh, yeah, so I mean, eventually it'll get to that point. Um, One quick thing, I looked it up while, while we were talking. Disney World is full of charging stations. They have Very a cool. contract agreement with ChargePoint. Uh, you do have to pay to charge there, but I I can't even, there, the list I'm looking at lists them out by parking lot and park and camping space. A hundred, maybe more charging spaces. That's cool. Um, I'm just trying to figure out how logistically that works though, because with ChargePoint, if you don't come and pick your car up after a certain time when it's reached its charge, it, they, char- they, cost, they charge you money. So they're, they're, yeah, yeah. So I would hope that you know Disney would be working with ChargePoint with an attendant to move your car someplace or something, so that you don't incur extra charges. You know, no, uh, don't do any of that. No, but um, yeah, you just have to come back out and move your car. But these are slow chargers, right? So I mean, right. you, depending on what charge level you get there with, you have several hours before it's going to hit that point. Yeah. All right. Any uh, closing thoughts, Perlo? No, you know, Jason, I, I I intend to review more of these vehicles um, to, and and drive more of them and just get a better understanding of the space. I'm really excited. This is a technology I'm, I'm very passionate about. You know, I I, I I'm kind of, I've decided that my next vehicle that I buy will be an EV. I don't know what manufacturer it's going to be. There's so many cars coming out in the next two years. You know, um, Volkswagen has committed to being a 100% EV company by 2025. They will not make um, combustion cars anymore. Now, I don't know what that means for for the Porsche and the Audi lines as well, but um, yeah, that's a possibility. Um, you know, GM has assigned the entire Corvette team to the EV division, so um, there there are no real the next sports car coming out of GM will almost certainly be an EV. I don't know if they'll brand it Corvette or if they'll brand it. Um, Camaro. I saw that they did a, a, an electron, an electric Camaro prototype that that got a lot of um, good feedback. Um, but you know these cars, we're going to have to think about how they're designed. Um, you know, Ford did a, that F one fifty concept where they took an old F one fifty and they made it electric, and everybody loved the way it looked. Um, but I mean, like you, I don't see retrofitting cars as being a big business with you know uh, retrofitting because really you have to design the car around a platform. Right. Because, I mean, the way that space is arranged in the car and all that stuff, that's going to be a new science, just understanding how cars are engineered for electric. After we've been doing this for 100 years with fuel, you know, we had yeah. to really change the way we think about um, automotive engineering. Um, more, it's more like aerospace engineering, to be, to be perfectly honest. 
um, and, and where we can fit things. One of the things I thought was cool about Polestar was that because there's no forward um, engine space to be used, that they one is they put trunk space in there in the front in addition to the cargo space in the rear, but they also were able to fit space for a subwoofer for their audio system. So you can get some nice big thumping audio uh you know in a, in a car stereo now because you're because you're missing an engine which i thought was yeah. kind of neat so there's some very exciting yeah. things that are on the front um i'm really looking forward to it i'm going to be on the market for a while i may just go to a single car sell one of my vehicles go one go with one car for a while till i decide what i want to buy uh, but they're they're exciting times ahead jason and, and i think it's it, this this is one positive thing about the future in technology um that i'm really excited about you know there's a lot of negative things about technology i've been looking at lately uh, but this is definitely one of the positive ones, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing we didn't even touch on is how cheap it is to charge your car on a road trip. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm approaching 20,000 miles on my Model 3. I don't remember the number of kilowatt hours because it, it shows you how many your car has used. But if I break it down, it's around $800 worth of charging for 20,000 miles worth All of right. driving, which is nothing. If, no. if that was a gas car. It would not be anywhere close to eight hundred dollars. So we haven't even we cost, haven't even got it. We haven't even got the maintenance costs, which are minimal on a long term on a, on a, on an electric I, car. Um, I've had two free tire rotations, free tire rotations, and I have bought one gallon of windshield wiper fluid in two years, two and a half years of owning my car. That's it. Yeah, I mean, you have and, brakes and you have a few other things that you might they might want yeah, to look but at. When but, you're you know, using but, yeah. regenerative braking uh, as your predominant source of braking, which is one pedal driving, which is right. what I use in my Tesla, your, your brake wear and tear is, is minimal as well. So you, instead of changing your brakes every thirty or 40,000 miles, it's 50 to 100,000 miles, depending on how much you drive um, and, and your driving style. But uh, as far as my closing thoughts, look, I've owned an EV for two years now. I drove that Nissan Leaf and it convinced me EVs were the future, uh, but not that particular car. In fact, it was more expensive right. than the Model 3 I ended up buying. So that's why I bought the Model 3. And about two months in, I realized I will never buy a gas or a combustion engine vehicle again. My wife did get yeah. a Telluride shortly after that. Uh, however, we have a reservation in for a Rivian R1S, which is the cool. SUV. Uh, I don't know when we'll take delivery of it because they haven't started delivering it to give us a better time frame. But for now, we're just kind of buying our time, waiting for Rivian to start shipping it. And once that happens, we'll be 100% EV. Uh, and I don't think we'll ever look back. The cost of ownership is, yeah, you pay higher costs for the car, but you make that up and not paying for gas and all the other stuff we didn't get into here. Uh, but you're right. The the F one fifty Lightning. I think they Ford announced they have yeah. hundred thousand pre orders, which is three years worth of production capacity. I think we're going to see EVs really in the next ten years. Just, I mean, forget all of the companies announcing uh, an explosion. Yeah, it. yeah, it's it, it's going to be crazy, and uh, I look forward to it because Tesla, frankly, needs a competition. They've done a yep. lot of very questionable things, especially in the last two years that I don't necessarily agree with. Um, and it's all because they don't have competition to face. So I look forward to Ford, GM, Rivian, Polestar, whoever, you know, putting a little pressure on them to, uh, you know, remain competitive because right now they've just kind of run the show and that's that's not a good thing. Agreed. Well, Jason, um, uh, good luck with your Rivian, man. I'm going to have to try to test one of those things, too. Yeah, absolutely. All right. I'm, I'm Jason Cipriani. And I'm Jason Perlow.
And this is Jason Squared. Thanks for listening. Make sure to check out more of our work at ZDNet.com.